Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on Believe, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. This is Believe. Every team, every topic, everywhere. I'm your host, Nara Wang, and for episode 98, my guest is Danny Cannell, a former NFL quarterback for the Giants, Falcons, and Broncos, the backup to Charlie Ward on Florida State's 1993 national championship team before succeeding the Heisman Trophy winner and leading the Seminoles to a 23-1 and record in his two years as a starter, including wins in the Sugar and Orange Bowls, and now a college football analyst for Sirius XM Radio and CBS Sports, Danny I'm happy to welcome you to the Everything USC podcast. What's up, Nara? How we doing, man? It's great to be on with you. I'm fired up. Get a little talk, a little USC. Talk about the West Coast. You know, living on the East Coast, there definitely is an East Coast bias. So I'm fired up. Get a little West Coast exposure. I'm fired up. Sounds good. And of course, if you enjoy listening to the show, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, TuneIn, and so many more. Or you can go right to our website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. Or you can find me directly on X, or as I call it, the artist formerly known as Twitter, at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Danny, if the people want to find out what you're doing, where you're on, where do they go? So I have a daily radio show on SiriusXM, channel 84. Bright and early, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on the East Coast on College Sports Radio. I've got a podcast with CBS Sports with Cover 3. It's called the Cover 3 Podcast. And uh, also do some TV work for CBS Sports. And then at Danny Cannell, I love interacting with fans, love getting feedback. Even if it's negative, sometimes you get into it with some college football fans. But I actually enjoy it. You know, you've been called a lot of things on social media. But a lot of times I'll interact, try to win somebody over. If not, it's okay to disagree. On some things as well. But yeah, you can find me uh, at Danny Cannell on X as well. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. The Chiefs and 49ers are set to square off in Las Vegas to finish off the NFL season, and Bet Online is your number one source for football odds, stats, trends, and lines with everything from point spreads to hundreds of player performance props. Head to Bet Online today to stay updated on all the action. Bet Online. The game starts here. After a 6 0 start to begin the 2023 football season, USC was ranked in the top 10, but facing a gauntlet over the second half of the schedule, the Trojans didn't hold up well, losing to Notre Dame, Utah, Washington, Oregon, and UCLA allowing 52 points to the Huskies on homecoming weekend, finally cost defensive coordinator Alex Grinch's job, which was a week after letting Cal score 49 and needing to deny a two-point conversion try by the Golden Bears in the final minute of the game to win by one for the only SC victory over the final six games of the regular season. Heading into the Holiday Bowl with a 7-5 record and numerous players opting out or in the transfer portal, the Trojans were seven-point underdogs, according to our sponsor, Bet Online, against the Louisville squad that had been the runner-up to Florida State in the ACC. But behind a record-breaking six 
touchdown passing performance by quarterback Miller Moss in his first career start, USC beat the Cardinals 42-28 to at least end the season on a positive note. Danny Cannell, it was obviously a disappointing year for the Trojans, but was it more of a case of being overhyped going into the season or just underachieving during the season? I think it's a both. There were some people that picked USC to win the Pac-12, to be a playoff team. I mean, you had the Heisman Trophy winner returning in Caleb Williams. And in a sport where the quarterback position, you know, it's the most important position in all of sports. I mean, you've got one of the best ones to ever do it. Like, I didn't pick them to win the Pac-12, but I would have, I think I had them in the Pac-12 championship game, you know, or the very least, like, top three teams. So, seven and five, finishing the season, you know, the way it did after starting off strong, I'd say it's a disappointment. I mean, I think you would even ask Lincoln Riley. I would hope he would say it's a disappointment, right? Like, I mean, they had hopes and aspirations, too, and I think when you are at a program like USC, even as you're trying to rebuild and get back to the top, I think the expectation is, well, we should be there, at least very close to it. And the fact that they limped into the finish and, you know, lost to some teams that were less talented, I think everybody would admit it's a disappointing season for the Trojans. When I spoke to Lincoln Riley at the Pac-12 Media Day going into the season, He said there's one standard at USC, just like it is at all the other elite college football programs. That's to win championships, and obviously SC didn't get it done. And when you don't get things done and there's disappointment, it leads to coaching changes. And obviously, already mentioned Alex Grinch getting fired in season. And so Danton Lynn, the defensive coordinator who had such a good year at UCLA Crosstown, is stolen away from Westwood and brought in to USC as the D.C., Matt Entz, the former North Dakota State coach, won two FCS national titles there. He's an assistant head coach for the D and a linebackers coach now for SC. Doug Belk, the Houston defensive coordinator, is now the secondary coach for the Trojans. And as we record this on the Tuesday, the day after Martin Luther King Day, just yesterday, Eric Henderson, the defensive line coach for the LA Rams, has been hired away to be the DL coach for the Trojans, along with being the co-defensive coordinator and run game coordinator for USC. Do you like these hires that have been made by USC? And what is the most important thing that needs to happen to turn the defense around? Oh, I love the hires. Lincoln Riley is assembling an uh, Avengers-like squad, uh, you know, to form up this defense because he's already, he's the offensive mind, right? Like even what you mentioned, Miller Moss coming in, six touchdown passes, a record, you know, for a Pac-12 bowl game. Like, I don't ever worry about an offense with Lincoln Riley. But as, you know, unfortunately has played out, that was his Achilles heel at Oklahoma, was the defensive side of the ball. And then early in his tenure here at USC, it's been the same story. So I love the staff hires. I think it's the resumes are off the charts. But I also, at the same time, I think there's two things. One. It's not so much about the X's and O's as it is about the Jimmy's and the Joe's, right? I mean, there's all kind of different ways you could say that, but you can have the best coaches in the world, but if you don't have the talent up front on the defensive line and on the entire squad, like from the front line to the back end to the secondary, you know, you could have the best coaches in the world and you can maximize what they can do, but they're still going to fall short. So I think it's a combination. I think this would be kind of like, this would be a step in the right direction, but I'm curious to see what else they can do, you know, what they've done in the recruiting trail, bringing in new talent, and what they do in the portal. 
last year it was Bear Alexander on you know signing day or was it spring day? Was it sp- the spring game? Was it was it Al- uh, Georgia's spring game? I think was the day that Bear Alexander was brought in, and that was a big move. Former five star, you know, talented defensive lineman. You need to see a whole lot more of those. Just go look at the rosters of the teams that have been competing for playoff spots and for national championships. They're littered with NFL talent. You know, former four and five stars who are developed into being NFL first and second and third round picks. It's nice to have draft picks, but even there's a big difference in first and second rounders and sixth and seventh rounders. And so I think this is a step in the right direction. But what you start to need to see if you're USC is the defense, you know, churning out NFL talent like it did in its heyday. The other thing I think that's important too is, you know, there's got to be a mentality, a physical, tough mentality that for whatever reason, it feels like USC has lacked and specifically with Lincoln Riley. I don't think it has to come from Lincoln Riley. I don't think he has to be something he's not. I played for Coach Bowden. He mentioned me playing at Florida State. Bobby Bowden is a sweetheart of a man, right? I mean, he is a sweetheart of a man. He was a coach that was very cerebral. He very rarely raised his voice. I never heard him curse. But Mickey Andrews, our defensive coordinator, oh my goodness. He cursed like a sailor. He would dress you up and down. He could make you feel this big. And he was nasty. But you know what? Our defenses were nasty. And our team had a mentality that was nasty. There was another assistant coach, Chuck Amato, who did, he was more like the, if Coach Bowden was the CEO, he was like his number two who kind of doled out punishments. He would be the coach making you run up the stadiums if you missed class. I mean, it was, he was another one, tough guy that had a very tough, you know, just like old school mentality that was tough. I think that's something that USC has to find from somebody. I don't think it has to be Dan Lynn. It doesn't have to be one coach. Maybe it's the strength coach. Maybe it's somebody that infuses a toughness and it's both physical and mental that has to kind of be developed and really thickened at USC for them, especially before they go to the Big Ten, because that's a conference that's a little more old school stylistically. You're going to get a lot of teams that run at you, and they're going to challenge your you know, physical toughness up front. So I think that's sort of the two aspects I think that USC needs to work on on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, you talked about moving into the Big Ten with this roster. It's going to be a roster that's going to be overhauled. You're going to lose the top passer, rusher, and receiver from this year. Caleb Williams, Marshawn Lloyd, and Brendan Rice, respectively. Safety, Kalen Bullock, one of the two All-Americans for USC. He's headed to the NFL draft. They do get the other All-American back. The hotshot freshman this year, Zachariah Branch, will probably be the star of the offense coming back next year. Other key guys on offense returning, tight end Lake McCree, wide receivers Deuce Robinson, Makai Lemon, Jacoby Lane, who all had good games in that holiday bowl. Quarterback Miller Moss right now looks like the front runner to be the starting quarterback for USC. On the other side of the ball, you mentioned defensive tackle Bear Alexander. After a season with 47 tackles, he's coming back. Jamil Muhammad, the defensive end edge rusher, had six and a half sacks for USC along with 47 tackles coming back. Others on D, safety Jalen Smith and Anthony Beavers Jr. Cornerback Prophet Brown had a good game in the Holiday Bowl. Linebacker Mason Cobb, despite what people said about him throughout, he was the leading tackler for SC. He's got one more year of eligibility, the Oklahoma State transfer. And in the recruiting period, no five stars in the class. 
that was signed early, 19 recruits coming in, 18th ranked by the 24-7 composite, and then bringing in a few notable transfers, Kamari Ramsey and John Humphrey from Crosstown coming along with Danton Lynn, a couple of players from Oregon State, and running back Joquavius Marks out of Mississippi State. So how do you feel about the roster as currently constituted and what it can do in the Big Ten? Oh, I mean, as you just rattled off, I mean, there's definitely some pieces there. I mean, let's start with the quarterback because I think Miller Moss, I mean, that was very much a question mark. I mean, Will Howard, by all accounts, I had heard the former Kansas State quarterback was a done deal. You know, was that was the guy. He was going to be the future of USC. And then I think he watched what happened in the bowl game and said, man, maybe I, I don't know if I want to go compete with that. And that's great. Like, that's. That's a good thing. I think that, you know, Lincoln Riley, as we mentioned, is great with quarterbacks. I thought he looked spectacular, not only statistically, but just the way he handled himself, the presence that you've got there. So I think some of the other foundational pieces you've got, some veteran leadership. You know, you mentioned Mason Cobb, who I'm sure is taking some heat, but like having a middle linebacker to come and just, you have to have that, the leadership. That's one position too, where, and I go back to, uh, Clemson. Clemson had a middle linebacker trying to I'm racking my brain for his name that was sort of and they had a bunch of NFL talent up front they had a bunch of talent on the back end but he was like he was just a really really good college football player but the middle linebacker is sort of the, the quarterback of your defense it's got to get guys aligned got to get guys in the right position and that oftentimes can be the mentality of your defense and then you mentioned some of the other pieces like some of the young talent that's coming in I'm sure they're going to get playing time early and they're going to be asked to contribute early so I'll be very curious to see you know, how it goes. And I, I think the defense is, again, that's going to be the side that they have to focus on because as has been proven with Lincoln Riley, like the offense sort of takes care of itself. He can maximize the offense. I do think the defense has to make the most significant strides. Now, as someone who played quarterback for a storied program like Florida State under a legendary coach like Bobby Bowden, you know what it's like to have everyone focus on you as the face of a team with high expectations. So where would you rank Caleb Williams among the quarterbacks you've seen and studied over the years based on what he did in college and what you think he'll do in the NFL? Wait till you hear, and I'm sure you've already heard this, Nara, about just because we talk about generational talent. I mean, that's, I think, something that we refer to when we think of Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, Trevor Lawrence was probably in that discussion, and Caleb Williams will be in there too. But I would say Caleb Williams is really the first quarterback that has been this new style of quarterback where you can you're dual threat you can run you can improvise you put up incredible stats you got a cannon for an arm like I keep hearing people say well he's John Elway he's Peyton Manning and he's Lamar Jackson all in one like you hear people are trying to come up with ways to describe just how talented Caleb Williams is and I think they're adequate like when you look and and like I don't think it's too much hyperbole He's been phenomenal. You know, I mean, statistically, if you look at how he takes care of the ball, and there really wasn't that much drop-off this past season for him at all. He wasn't a problem at all. I do think if the one thing that I would nitpick on, and I think you're going to hear this again because everyone's going to rave about him, and then you try to pick him apart, say, well, where's the issue? Where's the flaw? It'll be like winner. Like, where is the championship behind the player? And I think that's unfair but I do think it's a question that will come up but from everything I've heard about him even going to Oklahoma to USC 
is that his teammates love playing with him. They love playing for him. And it's not his fault. I'll go back to Giselle. Remember Giselle, Tom Brady's wife, after the Super Bowl they lost to the New York yeah. Giants, and she got into it with fans. She's like, what do you want him to do? Catch it, run it, you know, tackle everybody too? That's what I would say if I'm a Caleb Williams, you know, backer and believer, which I am. Like, it's not his fault that he had to win a lot of shootouts and sometimes they came up short. But for today's NFL, I think he's the closest thing to Patrick Mahomes, who's the best quarterback in the game right now. He's perfect for what NFL teams are trying to do. And I think he's the closest thing to a surefire, you know, franchise Super Bowl winning quarterback. But saying that, there is a caveat. Because there is no such thing as a surefire, guaranteed, home run franchise quarterback in the NFL. I mean, and you just look historically. I mean, even last year is a good example. And it's way too early to call Bryce Young a bust. But people raved about what he did, myself included. C.J. Stroud. I liked C.J. Stroud. I didn't think he would have anywhere near the year he had. And if you compare those two quarterbacks right now, there's no question C.J. Stroud is off to a Hall of Fame-looking career. And Bryce Young... Again, way too early, but man, people are throwing around the bus word early and that we saw Bryce Young taken first. So there's just no guarantee on it, but I don't think there's going to be much debate. I thought early this season that maybe Drake May might challenge him for the number one spot, but I think there's going to be zero drama as far as who the best available quarterback coming out is. There might be drama around who picks him and is there a trade and where Caleb wants to go could play into that, but I think he's head and shoulders above the rest of the class. And he might be head and shoulders above Trevor Lawrence or, you know, Kyler Murray, Bryce Young, like name off the top you know, quarterbacks that have been taken. I think you have to go back pretty far to where there's a debate of who you would rather have. Yeah. I mean, he can do it all. He was forced to do things, I think, that put him in some bad situations, especially this season, where he sometimes went for the home run a little too much. And sometimes instead of just taking the guy underneath, he tries to make the big play because he's just trying to make big plays for this team, knowing that the D probably isn't going to hold the other side. He has to try and make big plays. And of course, ball security has been an issue. He does kind of hold it loosely, probably has to fix that a little bit. But the talent is there. The skills are there. And like you said, it seems like his teammates love playing with him. And that's a big sign going forward to have when you're going to go in and playing with grown men at the next level. So finally, the last thing I want to ask you about SC, Lincoln Riley, year two, obviously a step down from year one. How would you rate him the job he's done in the two seasons at SC? Woo! Year one, I thought you overexceeded. I mean, like clearly, but I think USC wanted, like, I don't know, overexceed. I think he met expectations year one. Year two, you fall short, but I think he's making the necessary adjustments. Like, I'm not worried about Lincoln Riley at USC. Not yet. Like, I, I think they'll be fine. I think he's assembling this cast. I think he'll do better on the recruiting trail and bringing in the talent. So I'm not worried about him yet. And then I think what's going to be a huge help, I do think the Big Ten, like, as much as we're talking about it, it's a great move, and I think it is, and they have the defending national champion now with Michigan, I really feel like that league is going to be ripe for the taking for a USC, for an Oregon, for a Washington, potentially for UCLA. Like behind Michigan and Ohio State, there's Penn State, who I think USC should at least be on par with and maybe above. So like I think you're instantly competing in that third, fourth, fifth position. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're competing for, you know, the Big Ten championship. 
But in saying that, what's going to be really interesting is this new 12 team playoff. Like you don't have to win it. You know, if you go 10 and two, especially with USC schedule where you're playing LSU non-conference, like you're, this schedule is insane. Notre Dame, as always, non-conference, like 10 and two, you're in the 12 team playoff. So. Like that's all you need is just to get a chance. And then like you're off to the races and shoot nine and three. We don't know what this is going to look like with these new super conferences. We don't know how many teams, but I wouldn't be surprised if the big 10 gets three SEC gets three and possibly four. So then like all you need is a chance, but I, I'm not worried at all about Lincoln Riley. I feel good about it. I don't feel good about the season. I don't think either is he, but I think he's taken the necessary steps to solve the problems they have. This is the Everything USC podcast on Believe. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, former NFL quarterback, former All-American at Florida State, and now college football analyst, Danny Cannell. If you enjoy the show, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you go to get your favorite podcast or at the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Network. I'm on X or Twitter or whatever you'd like to call it, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Danny, where do the people find out what you're doing? At Danny Cannell on X, probably the best way to see what I'm doing, but weekdays, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern, Sirius XM. If you're not an early riser, the SXM app, always a good place to do it. And then I have a Cover 3 podcast that's available everywhere podcasts are, too. Hey, everyone. This is Chuck Arfine of NBC Sports Chicago. and proud usc alum and you're listening to the everything usc podcast with nara wang on believe and because i have danny cannell on the proud fsu alum we got to talk about it seminoles getting left out of the college football playoff a travesty they go 13-0 win the acc title but they lost starting quarterback jordan travis to a broken leg versus north alabama in the 11th game of the season backup quarterback tate rodemaker comes in Beats Florida, but got hurt in that game, so he misses the ACC title game where freshman Brock Glenn starts and beats Louisville. And then the playoff comes out, and it's Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama selected. FSU becoming the first undefeated Power 5 conference champion to be excluded from the four-team playoff. They get matched with Georgia instead in the Orange Bowl. Rodemaker enters the transfer portal, so that leaves Glenn as the starting QB. The majority of the starters, including star wide receivers Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, star defensive lineman Jared Verse, they're all opting out, and they get blasted 63-3 to in that game. Danny, we know that you, especially because of your background, you're disgusted, of course, with the Seminoles getting left out, to use head coach Mike Norvell's word for the whole situation. I agree, it's a travesty that it happened. What was the main reason this happened? Oh, that's a loaded question, Nara. I think there's a couple. I mean, one, the biggest reason is the system that was in place was designed to screw over some team. And we've seen other teams screwed over before. I'll go back to UCF in 2017, who was a group of five team that ran the table. I thought they got screwed over. I was pretty vocal about them at the time. I had no problem with them claiming a a national championship because they didn't get the opportunity to play for it. But this was the most egregious. And I think what people really saw through is that it's not a true playoff. It's just not. It's an invitational is what the four team playoff. And I use air quotes because, you know, a true playoff, you have to earn it on the field, not get picked by a group of judges, which are the committee members are. They are literally like figure stating judges who are p- 
picking the four best, prettiest teams to go in. I was very confident that Florida State would get in, even with Jordan Travis being hurt, until I watched the ACC championship game. As I was watching that game against Louisville, it was ugly. Like, there's no way to sugarcoat it. The offense looked atrocious. It looked inept. Meanwhile, no one's paying attention to defense having a historically great night and a historically great three-game run. But I started to get nervous because those committee members, they watched together that last weekend. And I could just feel the broadcast, social media saying, ugh, you don't want to see this on the national stage. And so I think that became a real thing. Like they did not want to roll out a product on the biggest stage of the sport when a day that's celebrated on New Year's Day, when it's a holiday for college football and roll out a Florida State offense that might, not guaranteed, that might look like that again. And so they said, nope, we don't want to take that risk. We're going to put Alabama there. Alabama's a team that has Nick Saban. They've got rich tradition. They've won national championships. We feel like that's a better matchup, and we don't think Florida State can compete. I mean, the committee members anonymously have said that. We didn't think Florida State could compete with their backup quarterback. Even though with their backup, Tate Rodemaker, they were much better, not great, but much better offensively than they were against Louisville with their third stringer. And so I, I, there's a bunch, like Florida State fans are nuts over this. I get it. There's conspiracy theories abound. I don't buy into any of them. I just think it was simple. Like some team is going to get screwed over. This was the most egregious example of it. And it happened to be my alma mater. I think it's going to get better, but they're still going to get somebody's going to get screwed because somebody's going to have to have an extra game. If you don't get a buy, the top four seeds get a buy. And somebody's going to have to go on the road because that first round games will be home playoff games. I'll never be truly satisfied with the setup until it's closer to an NFL model where we can just let it be determined on the field. But unfortunately, I think we're probably four or five years away from that. I think eventually we might get there when we get players paid, when we have negotiating, when we possibly see a split off between the NCAA and you know, this group of teams that might go out there, whether it's 48, 32, 64, I don't know the number, but I think eventually we'll get to a true playoff. And in the short term, I'll say it just like I did after the BCS, we went to the four teams. I didn't love the BCS. I hated it. The four teams was better. I think 12 teams will be better, but I don't think by any means it'll be perfect. My feeling on it was they made it TV programming. They went for the better ratings of having Michigan, Alabama, and Texas, Washington, and thought that Florida State wouldn't be as good for TV ratings. And so we're told that sports is a meritocracy and that you earn it by winning games. Florida State, I thought, earned it on the field, like you said, and they just got left out for the myriad of reasons there are. But I also think that if it hadn't been the last year of the 14 playoff, the committee wouldn't have set this precedent. I think because the 12-team playoff starts next season, they had the cover to do it because, oh, it'll be fixed next year. They won't get left out next year. Do you think that might have played a role as well? Yes, I do. I think that was the perfect excuse, perfect reason why they could go. I think you do. Like, I don't think the committee actively thought about ratings. I know that's another, like, Florida State fans, oh, it's all about the ratings. I do think, and Kirk Herbstreit was out there pretty vocal about this too, said, I don't care about deserving. I want the best matchups. And if you just looked at matchups, like they did a pretty good job of getting an entertaining product. The Rose Bowl went to overtime, even though the game I don't think was that great. I do think that probably played in it too. They were aware 
but they didn't want a team that might have been ugly, that didn't look great, you know, playing on the field. And then as a consequence of that decision, then you get better ratings. That makes sense. Like, I don't think they go in thinking ratings. They go in thinking, let's get the best, most complete teams that'll put out a good product and will compete. Even though I think Florida State, and I'll say this, I know it's hard to defend after getting beat 63 to three by Georgia with their team decimated still. People are like, that was, that was not a championship team. I still think Florida State could have competed with Alabama, with Michigan, with Washington, or Texas, any one of them, because of the way their defense was playing. And I do think they would have been better. But, you know, it's history at this time. You know, there's no use in like going back and revisiting it. We can argue that till, you know, forever. But unfortunately, you know, we'll see. And the good news is they will get a shot next year. And I do think that was one where they were able to say, yep, this will change next year. And hopefully Florida State's back in the conversation because they got a lot of pieces to fill, too. This is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest, the former NFL quarterback for the Falcons, Broncos, and drafted by the Giants. Also drafted by none of the New York team trivia folks. Drafted by the Yankees as well in baseball. Danny Cannell joins me today. If you enjoy the show, subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you go for your favorite podcast or at our website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Network. For me, I'm on X, Twitter, whatever you want to refer to it as, at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Danny, where do the people find out what you're up to? At Danny Cannell on X, and then Sirius XM, daily radio show, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., with Dusty Dvorak, hopefully you guys can tune in. This is Steve Lavin, former UCLA and St. John's basketball coach, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nara Wang on the Believe Network. Finally, in the last segment, as I do with all of the new guests coming in over the past couple of years, got to talk the conference realignment. USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington all go into the Big Ten. Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah to the Big 12. Cal and Stanford joining Florida State in the ACC along with SMU. Oregon State and Washington State left out in the cold. They're going to have a scheduling arrangement with the Mountain West and football on the West Coast Conference and most of the other sports. And they're in legal proceedings to try and hang on to that Pac-12 money and maybe rebuild the conference. So after all this stuff that's happened in these last couple of years, Danny, I know you're on the East Coast, but you follow college football. You're an analyst, have been for years. How do you feel about the collapse of the Pac-12? and SC becoming a Big Ten team. I think it's a travesty. I do. I hate it. It felt inevitable that we're going this direction. I actually have hope. And I, you know, Chip Kelly at UCLA obviously put it out there like, why couldn't we figure this out? Why couldn't we have football separate? I actually have hope that maybe we can go back and once, because I do think he's right. I do think that's probably the solution that we end up coming to is that football separates and becomes its own entity apart from the other you know, non-revenue earning sports. I actually have hope that maybe the Pac-12 can resurface in four or five years and they can get back to what you know, college athletics has always been known for, and that's been the student-athlete experience. Now, it's way too far gone for football to feel that way or basketball even probably as well. Well, like I played baseball in college. You know, I have daughters that play sports, volleyball. Like think about the great, you know, volleyball matchups that have taken place. And, you know, just you can go down the list and I hope maybe that the Pac-12 can come back. I don't know if it's, it's always going to feel a fraction of what it was. It won't feel the same. We're talking about a conference that's been around for a hundred years. And 
I'm also saying that well aware that the ACC is in danger of seeing the same fate that the Pac-12 did, you know, with Florida State's future up in the air. And Florida State might be a Big Ten team. They might be an SEC team. And I don't know, I'm balancing between being an idealist who like an old school soul who liked regionality, who liked different styles of play. We're talking about USC going to the Big Ten and the style of play. I kind of like that, you know, the SEC has kind of been known historically for the fast speed players. The Big Ten's been known as a power. Pac-12 has been known as a blend of both with, you know, great quarterback play. The Big 12, high-flying offenses, great quarterback play, but the defense was a little bit dicey. Like, I kind of like that. And then they'd match up and you'd say, all right, which one's better? And you'd get a different flavor. And, you know, you just saw differences in the different conferences. I think it's sad we're losing that. But it's all been the result of the massive amounts of money that are at stake. And, you know, the TV networks have kind of orchestrated this. And, you know, teams have had to do whatever it takes to survive. And that's what my alma mater is doing right now, trying to explore how do we survive and stay at the upper echelon of college football. But I think the biggest loser in all of this are the fans because there's a lot of people making a lot of money and the players are too. And that's great. It's good they're getting a piece of the pie. But, the fans, I think, are the biggest losers because it's harder than ever to keep track of who's on my roster, you know, who's leaving, who can we keep. There's got to be some regulation coming soon, and there's massive changes, even more coming to college football. And I hope college football fans don't lose the passion that's always made the sport special because I think that's what makes college football separate from the NFL or the fans, the experience, the support that they get, the diehard support. And I hope with all this you know, blowing up of long, rich, storied traditions that the fans don't lose sight of that. I hope we don't. I worry that we do. And if you look at the ratings, like there's more interest than there's ever been. So it's hard to argue that we're ruining the sport. But if we don't get some of these things under control quickly, I worry that we're going to lose some of that fandom that we've had forever. It's going to be harder than ever to go on a road trip to watch USC play if you're based out here on the West Coast like I am. We used to have the weekender every year. Whenever we played either Stanford or Cal, that was the traditional trip that you would take up as a student to go and watch your team on the road up there. That's going to be gone for the time being. Who knows if it's ever going to come back. And you said maybe we're going to go to an NFL-type style. Well, what's the NFL based on? Regional divisions. So if it's eventually going to come back to that, I mean, what are we doing, right, Danny? What are we doing here? So finally, last question here about all this conference realignment. Who does it work out for the best in all of this? The top 30, 40 programs of college football. You know, you mentioned Washington State, Oregon State trying to survive. There's going to be a separation. There's already, there's always been probably the top 25, top 30 teams that could really legitimately play for a national championship. And it's been cyclical. Like USC hasn't always been in that conversation. Florida State hasn't always been. Texas, like it's been cyclical. But there's really, you could always kind of carve out, maybe it's even a smaller group, 15 teams that could legitimately win the national title every year. But the haves and the have-nots, I think you're going to see that separation continue. Like the darling Cinderella stories, uh, TCU a couple years ago, UCF, you know, Cincinnati, them being able to compete and even get in the conversation I think they're going to probably be the biggest losers. And the programs that are the big powerhouse programs, there is a lot of money coming into them, you know? So like they're going to be, they're going to be the biggest winners. And the other kind of thing that I hope happens from this is I do hope that when you talk about the haves and the have nots, 
that the have-nots, and I'll, let's just call them group of five for now, hope they separate and have their own thing, their own national championship, as opposed to acting like they're included in the playoff run and giving them one spot out of 12 where they're going to be playing with way less resources, the players that aren't as good, and they'll be good stories, but they probably won't be able to win a national title. Let them go play for their own legitimate national title that they can compete in playing against level talent. Like I think that would be a big win for the group of five teams when they feel like they've been left behind. But the winners in all this are the big powerhouse blue blood programs. But the losers are right on the cusp. Like who's on that? If it's top 30, top 40, top 50, who's just losing out? Unfortunately, those are some of the biggest losers. And you mentioned a couple of them, Washington State, Oregon State. I don't consider them losers, but in the end, it sure feels like they're fighting an uphill battle. Danny, it's been great having you on and discussing USC and the greater vision of college football as a whole, and we'd love to have you back anytime. Awesome. Great being on with you, Nara. Thanks for having me. For my guest, former NFL quarterback and college football analyst Danny Cannell, I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 98 of the Everything USC podcast, presented by Bet Online on Believe, the place to find a sports or pop culture show for passionate fan bases across multiple platforms. This is Believe. Every team, every topic, everywhere. And as I end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.